0: Hello and welcome to The Bravest Kind, a podcast featuring behind-the-scenes stories of fearless individuals demonstrating bravery and kindness in their everyday lives. I am your host, Ryan Schaefer, and I am a firefighter and EMT with the Kirkland Fire Department located just outside of Seattle, Washington. We have a great show in store for today with my guest, Matt Bro. Matt is the head coach for the track and field and cross-country programs at Butler University located in Indianapolis, where he has been awarded the Conference Coach of the Year 12 times. Matt discusses his coaching and leadership philosophy, the value in showing up on a daily basis, and why he believes a not-to-do list is much more important than a to-do list. Matt also shares how he balances the challenge that comes with running a collegiate athletics program while also being a husband and father. Matt delivers plenty of nuggets throughout the interview that can be applicable not only to peak performance in athletics, but also to daily life in general. I have no doubt that your time will be well invested with this episode. Thanks for listening. And enjoy the show. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today on The Bravest Kind. Matt is the head track and field and cross country coach at Butler University. So, Matt and I know one another from our days as Division I athletes at the University of Portland. Uh, Matt ran cross-country and track for the pilots, and I was on the tennis team. And aside from both being athletes at University of Portland, we were also roommates and good buddies. And I'm honored that you are appearing today as a guest here on my podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. Matt, you have dedicated much of your life to, to running, uh, both uh, as a youth and, as I said, you and I knowing each other from our college days and competing at the University of Portland, and then soon after, you began your pursuit uh, of a coaching career. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to set the stage before we really dive in here. A little bit of your uh, background, your upbringing, and how you really got into the coaching profession.
1: Yeah, well, I um obviously I grew up in the Seattle area and uh was massively influenced by sport at a young age and um and so my first passion actually was basketball. and played basketball all the way through high school and um my my parents I guess to, in short my parents got divorced when I was 6 and that created a circuitous route through South King County and moving around a little bit and um, that was about the time that I started to into organized sports. And so, um, I had a lot of time on my own playing basketball, a lot of time just, uh, you know, out playing. And so I had a passion for competition and it just, um, uh, mm-hmm. that was something that happened really early. I, I was kind of, um you know, kind of an intense, <laughs> intense kid. And I, and I don't know, you know, in retrospect, how much of that was coming from, you know, being in a single parent home and, those types of things, but, or how much it was, you know, nature nurture, nurture was just my personality, but I really got into sports and competing and, and was hyper competitive. And, and along the way, my, my role models, you know, starting in about fourth grade were coaches, you know, teachers and coaches, and especially yeah. male role models in my life were, were coaches. And so I think that just got in my bloodstream really early um, about, you know, um, leadership and, and, in competition and, and those types of things. So I think it was just always, always there. And, um, as I got into junior high and high school, you know, and, and was successful in sport, I had more deep relationships with my, my, my coaches. And I think at that time I was just setting the stage, um, for a career path, although I wasn't solely fixed on that at the time. I, I knew I was either going to be a teacher, a writer, or a coach, or some combination thereof, and I didn't know where or at what level and, and how that was going to work, but I was massively influenced by my teachers and, and my coaches, and and I was really competitive. So when I started to think about it, it's like you can have a career where you can teach, be a teacher, but you can compete at the same time. And I yeah. just thought that was like absolute gold, and so I think that's that's kind of what set me on. On a path, and I also just studied a lot of coaches. Just interested in sport, interested in um, psychology too. It probably would have been another career path for me. And so, um, just how people led each other and how you won became an interest of mine growing up and in college, and and then post college.
0: So, a few things there. One, as as you and I even before we started recording, we were just talking NBA playoffs. Basketball was also my lifelong passion and, uh, really chosen or favorite sport, uh, as a youth. And so, yeah, despite, uh, I guess, despite that fact, we, we ended up, <laughs> our collegiate pursuits ended up differing a little bit, but, uh, that was still my dream and in, in some alternate life, somehow I, I played D1 hoops or right. uh, some level of professional, <laughs> professional ball. You know, also you talk about being an intense youth and an intense athlete. That's one thing that, I always really respected and admired about you, even in college, you always had a focus and it seemed like a drive and a, and a vision way more, definitely way more than the rest of us <laughs> in that house on uh, Willamette that we all lived in. And I was going to ask you about that. I, I actually, that was something I wanted to touch upon this, but you brought it up. Do you carry that with you today? Do you still have that same hyper competitiveness focus intensity yeah to your approach to coaching
1: yeah i do and it's you know one of the things that you know you have to you know when you're growing up you're trying to figure out who you are and and sometimes you i don't want to say necessarily you're embarrassed by it but shamed by it or you're trying to channel it your your personality or what what have you and mm-hmm. i <laughs> i realized pretty early that that was, I was just in, in, retrospect too, but in looking back, like, you know, in the second grade, um, you had to stand in line to, to get into the building. Uh, and, and I had to walk, this is right after my parents got divorced. And I had to walk, um, like three quarters of a mile to, to school. And I realized that the person you could be first in line, but it didn't really matter. Everybody else was on the playground <laughs> playing. Right. It's, it sounds ridiculous yeah. now, but so I was just like, "Wait a minute!" So I can be first every day if I just get here before everyone else, and so yeah. I would just be yeah. first in line to go into the building, which is ridiculous. It just, it, but it was just establishing yourself. I guess it was in you. Yeah, it was yeah. just it's just mm-hmm. odd. And then you know, um, I I remember in we used to play video. You know, we used to play Nintendo, right? We had Nintendo as kids, and and in my apartment yeah. when I was. We I lived in Kent, Uh, I got so frustrated playing uh, some of these games that I, (laughs) I kicked a couple of holes in the wall of the apartment. And then (laughs) that day, you know, um, we just happened to move the room around, you know, and it just looked different now all of a sudden. And then, you know, two years later, my mom found these huge holes in the wall.
0: Um, I just kind of slide a couch over here. Yeah, this is what, hey, what do you think of this look? Uh, So, (laughs) You know, Mom, I took it upon myself to reorganize. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you were talking about uh, <laughs> wanting some new interior design ideas. Here you go. So I just,
1: I mean, looking back on those things now, I, I realized that you know that was just part of your wiring, and um, yep. you can use it to good too. And obviously, it, it I think probably bit me in the backside a little bit uh growing up, and even competitively, it probably I didn't always channel. You know, like in college, I overtrained, and I and I didn't listen to my body, and it. it Largely impacted the outcomes that I had late in my career, and I learned from that.
0: No, well, I know you've uh, you've been very successful everywhere that you've went, and along those lines, I'm curious, what is your philosophy or attitude approach towards coaching? So you get these uh, young men and women into your program from high school, uh, recruit them, uh, see something in them. How do you go about? maximizing an athlete's potential it starts with
1: the individual there's a lot of talk about the team the team the team and what are we doing for the team and it's kind of a buzzword and you know team dynamics and whatever and quite frankly everything starts with the individual and the individual's ego and self-esteem and and how they see themselves in the world and how they see themselves in an environment and you really have to be very careful with each person as much as you can be while coaching the collective. And I think if you can have a connection with a person, you can really, you can ask them to do things that and challenge them in a way that other people are not willing to, uh, don't know how to, or aren't even, you know, actively pursuing. And that's, I think that's one of the hardest things of coaching is in, in our level, a really high level, almost top of the pyramid. It's like, I'm going to challenge you in a way that no one else will. This situation is going to challenge you in a way that, that you probably won't need to be challenged anywhere else in your life because you're smart, you're good looking, you know, you, you're talented. You can probably fake it most anywhere else. And in our sport,
0: mm-hmm. you, you
1: there, you cannot fake it. You're going to get exposed.
0: And that's what I love about it because people you can't, can't hide. I mean, can't it's, hide. It's, yeah, it's raw, right? I mean, it is literally, it's, 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 that's one thing I love about track, about swimming. I mean, it is straight up who can get from point A to point B the quickest. Right. Like you said, there's, there's right. nowhere to hide. You're completely exposed. Right. And any vulnerability that you have,
1: um, that you bring into the race, uh, let's talk about racing at least, mm-hmm. um, at the highest level, it's going to get exposed, right? And so, so much of my coaching is done prior, and we can't call timeout, right? That's the one thing we talk about. We can't call timeout. We, we can't make adjustments on the fly in a competition. And so, so much of your, um, you know, it's kind of the iceberg effect. So much of your coaching is done before we get to the meet. I do very little coaching the day of a competition. If I'm doing a lot of coaching on the day of a competition, I'm, I've either messed up somewhere along the line. Um, or we're just trying to feed an athlete. More, they just need more, in which case we're probably going to get a compromised outcome. So, yes. so much of it is trying to get it, I call it getting in the book. Hey, I'm talking to you about this right now, Ryan, I'm coaching you. I need to get this in the bloodstream. I need you to think about it. I need you to be able to process it. And then you got to be make decisions based upon that. And so we really work towards um, things being automatic. Um, and there's a huge trust involved. And that's a that's a big, long process. And there's lots of tendrils to that in terms of just to training, just the nuts and bolts of what we do, but also how we approach the training, how we see ourselves within that construct.
0: Yeah. I'm assuming you watched the Last Dance documentary. Oh yeah, for sure. That really stood out to me with Phil Jackson, how much he basically was like, no, I don't coach everybody the same. I, there was that uh, footage of when Dennis Rodman Needed, yeah. Like needed a day or a couple of days off. I don't know. If it was in the middle of the playoffs and went went to Las Vegas, and I think he extended his stay. And Michael Jordan ended up knocking on his door in person. But I think of that with a lot of coaches. Where do you find that line between doing what needs to be done for the team versus? how do i push their buttons and 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 get them to tick to maximize their own individual performance so i guess my question for you as i say that is when you're out there uh, whether it's recruiting or once an individual is is already in your program are there specific uh, traits characteristics that you're looking for in an athlete outside of raw talent yeah
1: certainly and to your to your point i uh, you know one of my my one of my favorite sayings that you know picked up along the way, and we say it right at the outset too. Just I, we put everything out there, we, so there, there's no misgivings about where we're at. Um, your ultimate goal is to be able to treat everyone the same and have everyone have a similar level of conformity and be on the same page. Mm-hmm. It makes your life easier. And so, one of the easiest ways to do that is recruit people you think are going to do that. If you think somebody's going to be a challenge to that, you have to weigh how much talent do they have. You know what's what's the risk reward, um, and if you can get okay. high talent people who have similar mindsets together, your job gets you you know much more manageable really quickly. Not to say there won't be challenges, but in the recruiting process, we try to we try to weed out people that are going to be problematic. And earlier in my career, I would maybe lean on more talented people and say, "Well, this kid's talented. I think we can do it." And now, especially with where our success is at, we say we don't need them because this is going to be problematic or we tell them at the outset we're in recruiting if you really want somebody you're probably not going to tell them how you how you're going to need to act we'll do that um to Mm -hmm. to strengthen to make sure our culture is strong that said i also give more latitude to individuals within the program than i probably did as a as a younger coach where I was more kind of by the book and this is how we're going to do it, what have you. And maybe it's because I have more talent now and maybe I can see people's idiosyncrasies differently. But um, one of the things that we talk about and we put it out there early is fair is not always equal and equal is not always fair. So we are going to do what's, and, and it's weighted in our program. This person is going to get these opportunities and they're going to get these things, but everyone's going to get the basic things that they need. And if you do well, um, with what you have, which you should be able to, that's an expectation, then you're go- you're go- more opportunities are going to present themselves. So it's definitely incentive-driven, but it's not incentive-driven unto itself because we're trying to get you to chase a carrot. It's just we try to give people what they need when they need it. And our goal is to move them along that path um, and move everyone along that path. And, and in so doing... Everyone feels that they have value, but everybody knows where their role is at because everybody can't have the same role within a organization. Mm-hmm. It's just not realistic. Um, on the flip side of that, I will pull people, high performers, aside and say, "Hey, listen, you get everything. Okay, you get this. You, you know, you have all these things afforded to you, and you've been given this this gift. So the expectation for you is that you're going to is you're going to lead in a certain manner because it, I, you need to recognize that." nobody here is more important in the program. Right. And so that's one of the things that yeah. we talk about. And so, yeah, I might be the head coach, but I just have a role. So my role is a, B, C, D, E, and F. Okay. And your Brian's role is X, Y, Z. Okay. My job is to maximize my role and be accountable to that. And, and whether I'm a leader or not does not matter. Everyone in the organization has a role to maximize it, uh, everything that they have and to fulfill their role. Roles may change over time. They may expand, they may shrink based upon circumstances, but we, I'm not a big believer in this is what I say we do. And it's my way, the old, kind of old school, whatever. Now there are times when that is important and, and needs to, and it's a known, I uh, probably, by the way that I lead, I don't think there's any question, but, um, I want my athletes to feel that I'm doing everything in my power to help them get better so they're empowered. And so that's a high bar, um, and it should be a high bar for everybody yeah. in the organization. And so people, uh, to answer the second part of your question, I guess, is find people who want to be part of something bigger than themselves, Right. But at the same time, have a huge internal dri- drive to be great individualistically. It starts with the individual. It expands out to the to the group and then it comes back to the individual. And so if you can find somebody who's driven and competitive but has a good foundation uh, as a person, um, that's the person that you want to recruit. The trouble and the challenges in individual sports is you have people who are at times highly self-involved and that's what has allowed them to be successful and you cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. So you have to say, yeah, okay, this person is self-involved, arrogant, however you want to label it. Um, How do we get them coming over to our side? How do we coax that person to understand that there's something more than themselves without them losing themselves along the way? That's. The, I think that's the art form of leadership in, in teaching. It's not just saying, "Well, that person only cares about themselves." Well, if they're talented, we need them. Right? <laughs> are they malleable? Are, are can we develop them? Um, do can they see the greater whole? Um, and sometimes I've had some people that never quite got it, and they were helped the team be successful. Um, and that's okay too, um, because maybe it comes to them further down the road where they have an experience or they there's a growth pattern in their life and they look back and they go, Oh, they have an aha moment. And as a coach, you're not going to see those aha moments, but you hope for them and you try to put them in the best situation to be successful. And sometimes even say, you're going to be thinking about this three to five, seven years down the road. And this is what I want you to think about when this yeah. happens. And then you, you try to get them into the future and they might give you the, yeah, yeah, yes. But if they're, they might be listening to, and, and so as a coach, you can't get to see all the lessons learned, right? right? You have to just put them in the best position and cross your fingers that it has a lasting impact on them. So um, when I do that, I speak very specifically and, I'm, and I'll say to them, this is very important. I want you to pay attention. Not that other things aren't, but I will say it in that manner. If I can teach you anything, it's X. And and I hit some of those big, really important things that I think have lifelong ramifications. Um, and I make sure it's known and I come back to it, you know, and that's just kind of like hammering the basics, hammering the basics about how we, how we apply ourselves and what we look towards and what we think about and how we carry ourselves, et cetera.
0: So Matt, one thing that's interesting, especially being a collegiate coach is that you have these athletes for a relatively short window of time. Uh, You've got them for four years, maybe five at the most. If they are, you know, if they have a redshirt year or an injury, how do you maximize their potential within that time frame? And then talk to me a little bit about that life cycle of a coach and having them for that uh, period of time, and then setting them up for success beyond their college years.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things you we're always looking at. One of the overarching questions we have, and it's a life question, really, is how much time do we have? Right? How much time do I have to achieve this task? How much time do I have to do these things I want to do? And so, it's a finite amount of time in, in coaching at the collegiate level. You know when the end is, right? It, for some people, it's mm-hmm. five years for a transfer. It might be two years or even a year. Uh, it could be four years if somebody is in a red shirt. So. One of the first questions you ask when you're um, broad-based, when we're talking about um, developing an athlete and we're just talking about sport is one of the first questions we have is how much time do we have? Cause that defines what we do. Right. And so we say, okay, how much time do we have in skill acquisition? We always work from general to specific. So whatever the task might be. So we say, okay, how much time do we have? Where's this individual at? Um, from a training age um, from a chronological age um, and where where is their performance level or what's their skill set what have you and then where based upon that criteria and that information you know we synthesize as much of that as possible and we start to ask okay I ask myself where do we think this person can get to right and that's what as a coaching staff we say this person can run to about I think this person can run x or y or get to this to qualify for this level of meet whatever by the time they're done that would be a good and for them, as I see it, and so the fun part of coaching is you get to you get to you're you're a steward of their talent, and we're talking about you know the top one percent, right? And they have this gift, and even inside that one percent, there's a huge gap of of talent, right? Or two percent, or whatever it may be, and but it matters the same to each person who comes through the doors, right? They want to be great, but great is one of the most overused <laughs> terms yeah. and abused terms in our society. Like truly being truly great at something you have to immerse yourself in it. you have to, there's a, a you know, a, a mastery that has to take place um, over a course of practice um, to truly be great. Now you can be better than someone else because you're more talented. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being great. So, greatness is something that has to be cultivated on a daily daily level, and there has to be a focus on that, which means you can't be great at everything, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to choose what you want to be great at. Um, and if you're coming through our doors, then the expectation is you want to be a great runner. Now, great for somebody might be X or Y because of their talent level, and for someone else it could be something completely different. One of the big tenets of my coaching is, I don't care what your potential is. All I care about is getting you there. So there, there are people at are different levels. It doesn't matter to me. I see where I think that athlete can get to uh, and what that might be. And you try to be as, the best steward of their, of their gift as possible, of their talent as possible. And so in doing that, you've got to be looking at the long term, mm-hmm. And say, okay, I've got four years with this person. Okay, where do we think they can get to? We always take the microscope and we pan out, you know, and we look out. And then we pan back in again on what are we doing today? And we have check marks along the way. At the end of their freshman year or their first season, where are they at? Are they picking up valuable skill acquisition in terms of, hey, they can run X miles a week or they can – run X workouts at X time or what's their functional movement patterns look like? You know, how do they move? Um, How's their injury prevention? Here's their strength development. How's our pliability? Uh, You know, there's all these little intricate things in running the science of running that we're trying to apply on a daily basis. We work from general to specific and then, and then we cycle through that process, you know, the same way that you would cycle through seasons. And then we have an end, whether it be an end of a season or an end of a year cycle and then we build back again. And hopefully each time we build back, we've got a broader foundation of fitness. We've got a more mature athlete on lots of levels physiologically, psychologically. And we're preparing them along the way to get in more difficult situations, more challenging situations, which ultimately are ultimately going to allow them to run mm-hmm. fast. For the very, very elite that I have, the hope is that they we give that either A, we have given them the skills to run post-collegiately if they have to kind of do it on their own and work or you know which is for a lot of people or work within a elite training group that's not a, a pro group per se or they can be a contract pro and they can go be a professional athlete and I've got a few people in the program right now that that's what we're grooming them for if an athlete has that potential it is your job to make sure that you put them in position in my estimation that they can run post collegiately so and most people are just going to get jobs after they're done but if they if they get whenever they get done one of the things I really focus on and one of my goals is your last race in a Butler uniform is your best race in a Butler uniform that you've put all these things together. And, you know, that's a little bit about my experiences. You know, my last races as a senior were, were my best races. They weren't certainly where I could have been, but I'm a big believer in ending well, because your memory is really, um, is really colored by your last experiences. So if you have bad experiences along the way or challenging experience or however you want to label them, if you end well, it makes it feel like it was worth it at a minimum, if, if not more than that. And, and I want people to end well. And so this journey that they've been on long before they came to me um, feels worthwhile. And, and they, and I think if they feel good about it, there's less likely to be yeah. jaded or um, cynical or frustrated, which, our sport is just fraught with that. And I'm a victim of that myself. So I'm, you know, I know it acutely well, um, that that's a big thing for me. And I guess in some small way, that's a way for me to kind of repair, um, and make use of maybe what wasn't enough for me and what I didn't feel like I achieved or got. And so that's like turning that, maybe that negative or that experience that you, you, um, um, didn't get or were kind of hoping for, and turning it on its ear and giving kids a great experience. I feel like we've had that in our program a lot, and every every single one is unique, and every single one is important yeah. in terms of that because it's their one chance. And I might be coaching thirty athletes at a time, but it's their one time through that cycle. It's a very small window in their life, and it's a very important one because here's a time when you're really skilled and really good at something and you're going to be 23 years old and they'll, there's no place for you to do that anymore. And you know, that's, that's tough. And so I want people to end well. So if they go into the work world, they like, I had a great running career. The better they feel about it, the more they're going to, in my estimation, the, the more they're going to be thinking about the lessons along the way, because they won't be cynical or jaded or frustrated and they will have a greater potential to apply what they've learned. And that's where I think the gift of maybe not having the college career that I wanted to have has been a thing that's with me, next to me every single day. Um, And I try to remind myself with that, with each person, because I coach a lot of people, it's easy to not be completely engaged in that all the time, just because of the life forces and all the things you're trying to do. And It's that daily reminder that hey, this is this one person's chance. This is their one time through. How do I maximize it for them? And then when I see them do well in the end, I I don't know if there's much more gratifying than that as a coach. And that's always the end goal. So we're always working towards the end. And then we're
0: learning the lessons along the way through the work. Does that weigh on you heavily? Do you feel that pressure? Talk about they've got this one moment, this one chance, this finite window to be at this peak. And there are the select few that have that opportunity to perhaps race professionally, but obviously that's a very small percentage. How much pressure do you feel on a daily basis to uh, meet that opportunity for them? Yeah, I wouldn't want to speak for other
1: coaches, but I would say that if you talk to other coaches uh, who've been, you know, in the business a long time, and you know had success what have you it's mm. i would say it's omnipresent it's always there and um there's a great coach um former coach of um, who got the women's volleyball program mm-hmm. really rolling in nebraska when they were pow- power and his name's terry pettit and terry pettit came and talked. he's a friend of our eight our 80s brady uh, uh barry collier who's former um coach at nebraska and um it really resonated with me when Terry. This is maybe ten years ago, but Terry came and visited with us, and he said, "If you're a great coach, you're at the movie theater, but yeah. you're thinking about, you know, what set play, you know, in obviously involved, but what set play they need to run against their their rival or whatever." And and I think that's one of the hard things uh, about this business, and one of the reasons that I don't advocate it for a lot of people is. Is that you? Ha- you're, you're constantly thinking about how you can help structure things for people and help them grow, and help, and, and really get an end. Sometimes, and just how do we get a result? You know, how do we get them in a position to get a great result? And it's it's fun because it's a puzzle all the time, and it's invigorating. Um, and there's a challenge every day because there's always roadblocks along the way. Certainly, health being a huge part of that, uh, mental and physical, for that matter, uh, but certainly physical health. I was referring to. Um, but it takes you away from how, you know, it's a challenge to having a regular life. Um, and that's, coaches have to learn how to be able to manage that so that they don't go, they don't burn out, um, that they're good spouses, that they're good parents. Um, and I think. You have to, you learn how to let some things roll off your shoulders a little bit and go, well, that wasn't what we were looking for. And you have to go back internally and say, did I do everything that I could to put that person in position to be successful? And if I did and they didn't get it, then you have to kind of live with that. Um, So there's a great pressure on doing, having a great process as a coach to make sure that you're giving everybody everything they need. Like just today, I'm like, okay, who's going to get massages tonight, you know? how are we, we've got somebody with a, a planner issue, planner fasciitis issue going into the first NCAA first round. How are we going to deal with that? Um, one person's coming back late um, because they, they sprained their foot and they're a little short on fitness. How are they going to race? It's going to be warm. There's all these little things that we look at and they're in the back of your head. And I think they, can keep you from being present in other people's lives, like your family.
0: Well, talk to me about that. Actually, I, uh, that's something I wanted to touch upon. So, while we're on that subject, how do you do that? I can imagine with that time and energy spent overseeing a collegiate athletics program that that can be difficult. You, know, you just mentioned the uh, volleyball coach from University of Nebraska, and say, you know, at the being at the movie with his family, but his mind's constantly thinking about. About his players and different set plays to run. How do you turn that off, or at least, if not turn it off, what do you do to be present? Because you're you're married and a father of two. Yep. How do you carve out that time and energy for your family the same way you do for your athletes?
1: It's it's a challenge. I mean, I, to be honest, it's a real challenge to you know. You you worry. You know, am I giving? everyone everything that i have you know and then at Mm -hmm. some point you get frustrated if you don't get what you know if you get bad outcomes or what
0: have you and you think what am i am i giving myself what i need right yeah right that's i was going to just say that too not only are you giving everyone else what they need but are you giving yourself what you need? yeah
1: and i think people in leadership positions you know the blessing right is that you oftentimes is you have a certain level of autonomy um and that's good. You don't have, you, you know. One thing I hate being is micromanage. That's probably fair for all most people, I would assume, of course. But um, the problem is, you're trying to measure your own success, you know. And and did I do the right thing? And am I giving people everything that I have? And am I giving my? Am I investing in myself? And it's a real challenge. Um, and I think you know, as you get older, you realize the things you can't control and the things you can control. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps you a lot. Um, and I would also say that the whole premise of multitasking is, is wholly overrated. You know, Mm -hmm. you really want to do, I'm going to do one thing well today, or I'm going to do one thing well right now. And then I'm going to move to the next thing. And I'm not going to worry about whether the last thing I did was good enough. This is the thing we really work with our athletes on. Do one thing well, do the next thing well, act and react, act and react, trust in the work that you've done. And so, as coaches, if we're giving that advice, we got to be able to be give it, giving it to ourselves. And so, you do your very best to be present in everything that you do, um, and then you find ways to decompress. So, like you know, obviously, we talked you know uh, earlier in about working out. Working out is a big thing for me. I need to be able to work out every day because that gets me in the place where I can help other people. So, um, yeah. and it helps me too, of course. So, um, you try to find those things that can get you away. Um, and then you come back, you know, it's just, we talk about stretch, you know, like in say in yoga, right? You, you stretch, you come back to center, you stretch, you come back to center, you pause, you evaluate, you stretch again. And over a course of time, you know, theoretically you become more limber. Um, but you've got to come back to center. Right. Um, and I think a younger coach who maybe doesn't have a family, I was fortunate when I was younger, I was just driven and motivated and I didn't have to worry about Anyone else. Um, but that has its own set of negative consequences too, because you can kind of burn out that way. I think having a balanced life, uh, whatever that, you know, whatever that might be, Uh, I mean, and you're a busy man, so, you know, you know, all too well what I'm talking about, um, is really being present and investing and feeling good about being in that moment and then stepping away from it and then moving into another and then taking some time for self-reflection and saying, did I do what I was supposed to do there? Did I feel good about my effort? Regardless of the outcome of, did I feel good about my effort? And I think that's the thing we try to teach our athletes is like, did you, we are very effort-based in our program, effort-based and execution-based. Did, was our effort good? Was our energy good? Were we positive? Um, did, were we locked in? Um, did we put ourselves in a position to be successful? After that, you're going to have to let go of the rest. So there's a lot of letting go of the things that you can't control Max, focusing on the things you can control, um, coming back to center, recalibrating, gathering your forces and going again. And that's what we teach. And so we have to do it for ourselves. Um, but no one's watching, uh, you know, so that's one of the things as you learn it as an adult, right? (laughs) You know, uh, no one's watching. You got to be able to, you got to have a, some level of self care and, and you got to surround pe- yourself with people who are understanding. Obviously my wife is a former division one coach and is a long time NCAA administrator. So she gets it. I think I, I'm really fortunate there. Um, but I don't bring my work. I try my best not to bring my wh- work home with me. I do not talk about my work too much. Like with my kids, my kids know what they, what I do, yes. but they mm-hmm. don't come to my practices. And they maybe when they get older they will. They don't come to my practice. They're not involved. All that they're not around to see it. They have their own things. And when they're doing their things, I'm with them doing that. And they know dad's on the road or dad's going recruiting or dad's at practice or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when I come home, I try to block out everything else and give them the time. And as soon as that time is up, then I might go back to work or I might, you know, um, focus on something else. Um, and I'm fortunate that I have that latitude and. Um, but it being a, being a, obviously coming from a single parent home, there is nothing more important to me than being a, a, a good spouse, you know, and a good parent. And that's my yeah. priority.
0: Yeah. You know, that, that really resonates when you're talking about trying to create that divide and, and not bringing work home. I, with my job as a firefighter, well, some of this is my Aside from my son, my wife and daughter don't really want to know about what goes right. on when I'm on my. job. They just don't want to hear yeah. <laughs> any of the stories because they don't want to be uh, have some of that own some of the trauma that uh, uh, that I often see. They just don't want it in their psyche, which I totally understand and and respect. My son sometimes wants to know, but yeah, I don't. I, I find it interesting. I, I talk to some other guys, and some guys I work with kind of share all the details of all the calls that we went on with their family and. I do very little. I have a very distinct divide between my professional life and personal life. And uh, sometimes maybe to a detriment of my own mental health, I probably keep some stuff inside and bottle some stuff up a little bit because I don't want uh, to bring it home to my family. But I really try to separate that, um, what I dealt with, what I saw at work uh, and not have that bleed over into my personal life. But you know, one thing that you're talking about as a coach and – uh, that family life. And, and as you were talking, and I, I was thinking back, have you ever read the book, uh, When Pride Still Matter? yep It's yeah. a biography on Vince Lombardi. Yeah. And there's a story in there that, yeah, it's it's a great book. I mean, phenomenal. But his son, Vince Lombardi's son, talks a little bit. I remember there's, it's been a long time since I read this book, so it's not real fresh in my mind. But I remember him sharing a story about How available his dad was, Vince Lombardi, for his players and and the sheer love and devotion that his players had for him. And yet, he didn't really feel as though he had that same connection with, with his dad. That his dad was kind of this absentee father and all these stories that he would hear from former athletes playing for his dad that he didn't feel as though he had that same relationship with him, And that always stood out a little bit to me. And I think you see that from a lot of uh, individuals that do really extraordinary things, you know, be it Steve Jobs or, you know, whoever that often have dysfunctional relationships with, with their own family and their own children. And so that's why I brought that up. I, I just curious because I, I can only imagine the amount of pressure running a program like that to being a leader, being a head coach.
1: Yeah, well, the the lightning one of the lightning bolts for me in my own sport as I read um, the our biography on uh, John McDonald, was longtime coach at. He's had one more national titles than anyone else in any other NCAA sport. He's former head track and cross country coach on the men's side at um, Arkansas, and fabulously successful, one of the most successful coaches in any sport ever. Um, and one of the questions he asked in the end was, "Was it worth it?" And the guy had more success than anyone. Not, nobody's even yeah. close to him in our sport at the collegiate level. And, he, and, yeah. and that was like, that was an aha moment for me, you know, was like, okay, you're, you want to be like John McDonald, right? You want to emulate yeah. John McDonald. And all of a sudden you're realizing he's asking, him, was it worth it? And he had, you know, if you read the book, he had a good relationship with his kids, but he was gone a lot and he was very driven, very intense, and very successful. And, you know, he gets done and he says, was it worth it? You know, one of my goals, when I read that was one of my goals is yes, it was worth it. And, and I think in order for it to be worth it, I think I, I don't want to see personally, uh, you know, other parts of my life, um, take a back seat. Um, but that sounds great in theory, uh, <laughs> then the execution is, is a challenge, but, um, you know, that's the thing for me, like you were saying, um, n- maybe to a fault. And I think that's, I think you show some good, uh, introspection there that maybe to a fault, you're not sharing some things. Um, but I do, I do, um, understand, you know, and in, in, in the same manner, I, I don't want to bring that back with me, um, because I want my kids to feel like their dad just has a, do- a, a job, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. and that he's gone and then he's here and he's with me and so, and and the, I work really hard at that, but I am pulled at times. You know what I mean? And my, it, sure. it, you know, and I wouldn't probably admit it. I'm
0: admitting it to the world here, but you know, I'm my mind is sometimes pulled. Oh, I get it. I mean, that's just natural. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, putting putting uh, practice into play, if you will, is is such a challenge. I mean, that's, that's such a challenge to be present. And as you said, not not multitasking and focusing on on one thing doing that and then moving on to the other thing I mean these are all traits and skills and topics that I that I work on continually and 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 tell myself you know I fit like mentally reminding myself daily to stay present to stay in the moment and it's such a challenge do you meditate at all
1: I ha yeah I have um throughout the years not yeah. as successfully yeah, as I'm terrible like- <laughs> Um, i'll say the x is you know x is my meditation you know like running is my
0: meditation going to going to the gym is my meditation i'm (laughs) the same i'm the same physical outlet i i I do and as you said you still that's part of your daily routine uh working out It, it is mine it has been since i was a kid i know you and i both uh grown up in in athletics throughout our entire lives and um both of our professions now, uh, you're obviously still in it, uh, the, the sport that you did, but me as a firefighter, yeah. physical job, uh, physical fitness is a huge part yeah. of that uh, job. So that 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 is for me as well. When I get my exercise in, I usually feel pretty well balanced and reset yep. and uh, not only of the body, but of the mind. Mm-hmm. And, and when I don't, or if I go multiple days in a row without, I feel myself getting off kilter a little bit. So I do think that's my, kind of my, in a weird way, my Zen place as well. Yeah but I don't feel very zen while I'm doing it. <laughs> well, some days, you know, you know, that's an
1: interesting thing. And to to that point about trying to be perfect is, um, I think I think uh, this was kind of another lightning bolt um, comment for me is the the late poet William Stafford, who's an Oregonian and longtime Portland resident. You know where we went to school. Mm-hmm. He wrote a for a long time period. He wrote a poem every single day. Obviously creating a poem is incredibly intricate and difficult and you can sit on it for years. And somebody said to him, you know, Bill, how do you, how do you write a poem every day? You know, how do you do that? He's this fabulous published poet, one of the great poets of North America in the 20th century. And um, he says, I just lower my standards. (laughs) And I think, That, that was, that's kind of a moment for me because it's just like, and it's a lot of advice that people give is just get out there. You know what I mean? It's not going to be perfect. So when things aren't going well or, you know, or in terms of like my energy levels aren't great, I have a certain standard of how I want to work out the things I want to be able to do running wise or lifting or whatever. I just, I just get out there. And so that I have certain points of the year where I'm just kind of quote unquote ticking the box, but the engine's on and it's moving. Right, And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to get to a place where I'm going to have some more free time, you know, kind of summer and fall are usually kind of good times for me. And then I'm back at it and I try to build that foundation. I try to put all those nuts into the, you know, store them away in in case I have a patch where it isn't so good. And so that's kind of the mind game that you play with yourself to keep yourself going. But sometimes um, in terms of being really good at something is shooting, you know, in, in for type A personalities or people who are driving, trying to be 10 out of 10 all the time is a recipe for disaster. You can be 10 in your effort, but you might not have great energy on the day. So you might only get a seven. So like when I talk to my athletes, I'm like, hey, I think this is a really good outcome for you. Um, I think this is an A outcome for you based upon where you're at. So that means we're grading on a curve here. We, we want to get to a place where we're not grading on a curve, athlete X. But you know what? I like your effort there. I like where you're at in this training cycle. Um, I like your I like the things that matter in terms of um, execution and, and having the right mindset and the right goal for, for where you're at. And that's where I try to keep people because you can't be 10 out of 10 all the time. You hope that you're 10 out of 10 in the end um, and that you're tracking towards that. But along the way, it's just not realistic. But you can have great effort and have average outcomes and be satisfied with that. And so in your own life, when you're working out or for example, you know, I was, I think we were talking earlier, May's a really tough time for me, but I'm I'm lowering my expectations on the outcome, but I'm going to try to put whatever effort I can into that. And that keeps that engine turned on. And then I'm going to come out, the the clouds are going to clear and I'm going to have a break and my energy stores are going to come up and then I'm going to crush it and I'm going to build a foundation back. And then I'm going to have that foundation to draw off of when things go sideways, you know, or, or I have a tough week or, or I'm traveling a lot or whatever it may be. So I'm pretty, uh, I would say monastic in that approach, you know, and it's, that's my, I guess
0: that's my meditation. I love what you're talking about really just showing up daily. Mm-hmm. Like you said, if you continue to show up and continue to show up, you're going to have those varying levels, but you will have moments of, of being in the zone for lack of a better mm-hmm. term or being at your peak, even though it's not going to be a daily 10 out of 10, but There's a book that I read and it's uh, called the war of art Heard that not. So there's obviously the art, there's the art of war, which, you know, I know Bill Belichick is a big disciple and stuff, but there's another book called the war of art and it's about being a professional in whatever your field, you know, as an artist, as a coach, talks about the professional, the pro shows up daily and puts everything aside and sets out a dedicated or designated amount of time to do work. And I think there is something really powerful about that process and that routine and that consistency. And you are going to have those varying level of days. But if you do that, then you're going to have a lot of, you're going to find that, that sweet spot a lot of times as well.
1: Yeah. And when you find that sweet spot, so that's obviously we we talked a little bit about flow theory, right. And, um, Mm -hmm. that studied that in graduate school and it's a big part of my coaching. Um, and you, it's about developing and cultivating a skill and a habit, um, to get yourself in a place where there's a challenge, but the challenge you feel like you can met, meet, but it's difficult, right? And that's where people, whether it be artists or people in academia or, um, you know, sport, is when they get in that moment where their challenge, the skill challenge balance is there's a harmony in that where it's the skill is. The skill that you feel that you possess and you do possess can meet the challenge. The challenge isn't too high. Too high of a challenge, t- excess anxiety creates c- creates mm-hmm. issue, creates thought. Um, task too easy, skill too high, creates boredom, right? And so we're trying to, when we're coaching somebody, we're really trying to get them to find that skill challenge balance. And so having goals that are reasonable but are stretch that you think you can get to is what keeps people engaged in the process, right? And we really work on daily goals. What are we doing daily and what are you doing in the 22 hours you're not at practice and how are we setting goals for ourselves in that? And that could be, you know, prehab rehab stuff that we do we need to do as, as runners and, 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 you know, nutrition and and track and field athletes and those types of things. And, And there's that part, but it's also the self care that we try to teach our athletes. Like, and, you know, for instance, one of the big challenges we have in this generation is trying to keep people, um, keep their social media in check, you know, and they're, they're tied yeah, to social media yeah. because that, that can impact self-esteem and it can impact um, attentional focus. Um, so an- anxiety is the enemy um, excess anxiety, but some level of anxiety or quote unquote stress is good because stress is a mover. Stress creates inertia. And so, you know, um, life life in general, life is about suffering right? Life is about suffering and how we work through suffering and how that gives us satisfaction and meaning and purpose in our life. Excess suffering is something we're trying to avoid. So excess anxiety is something that it doesn't, it's its energy wasted, right? But there has to be a pr- appropriate amount of stress, anxiety, however you want to apply it to trying to achieve a task. And I think We think, oh, I want a stress-free life. That's not a life I think most people would want to lead. But we don't want an anxiety-filled life as well, right? And so trying to find tasks and having goals that are appropriate or things to focus on that are appropriate that give us satisfaction that we can move towards gets us in a place where we can focus on a singular task. And when we do that, we self-actualize. And when we self-actualize, we start to form who we are and we start to actually give ourselves more inner resources and we fill that well of energy—a uh, real energy, not fake energy that goes away. You know, um, that's that internal drive and that ter- internal energy. That it's just being purposeful, right, in life and feeling feeling like your life has purpose. Um, and then we have connection with purpose. Um, we have something that's really powerful. So that's that renewable energy that we're trying to provide for ourselves. We need to do, we need to be disciplined to do. And that means we have to get off Instagram. We have to get off Twitter. We have to get off the, some of the stuff, not that any of it's unto itself is bad, but too much gets us moving in the wrong direction. Psychologically keeps us too far from coming back to our center. Once we stretch so we can go stretch and do something, social media or whatever it might be, but we got to come back to our center and say, what's my purpose? What gives me, what makes me feel whole how am I going to achieve that? How am I preparing myself for that today? How am I preparing myself for that tomorrow? And you create a habit, and you create a habit. And great athletes have great habits, and so they block out things that don't matter, and they focus on the things that do matter, and they and they do it passionately and with positivity. And you could you could apply that to other, you know, obviously other walks of life, professionals, and people in all arenas. Sure. And that's where we feel like we can be. Lock, we can be, you know, locked into the moment. And that's where, when you're in the moment, it, that's when you can see great things and you can feel great things. When you're distracted, you you kind of miss the plot. And we have a distracted society. Um, and, and we have an anxiety, in my opinion, we have a lot of anxiety in our society associated with that distraction and the lack of self-worth that comes from that or purpose that comes mm-hmm. from that. And so that's yeah. what we're really trying to teach our athletes and we're trying to do it for ourselves as leaders. Um and we're not above or you know, we're all in we're all in this together. Um and those are the things that we hope can give people the skill set to be successful when they leave.
0: Matt, I love so much of that, Matt. I mean, as you're talking, I'm just sitting here thinking and nodding my head and I I love your response to that. I think you completely nailed it. And I guess that's just excess in anything is typically not good, you know. I mean, anything in extreme excess, uh, as as we often experience and see in life, is uh, not healthy. But I, I talk, I try to talk to my kids about this a lot. You know, when they talk about being nervous about certain things or being scared, and I always talk to them about that. You know, being that that's natural and it's okay. And like you said, you don't want to live in, in a life filled with angst, but it's okay. It can be exciting. It, that, that, that that energy that you feel, that means that you're doing something oftentimes that you care about or has meaning or is worthwhile. Uh, I just finished taking a lieutenant's promotional test in my fire department last week. And that is as nervous as I have been in so long. But with that comes focus and being sharp and uh, feeling like you are putting yourself out there and going for something uh, and without that, like you said, you kind of revert to a life of boredom and and not, and not having purpose you know one thing that we talked about Matt when so for everyone listening, Matt and I reconnected on the phone uh, last week when we were talking about doing this podcast and one thing you mentioned in that phone conversation, was that you were not big on to do lists and that you were more big on a not to do list. Talk to me about your philosophy on that. Well
1: most of the people that I'm dealing with, you know, are what you know would be called type A personalities or high achievers, right? You're at a strong academic institution and you're an elite athlete, right? And so they got to that place by everyone telling them how good they are and that's not a bad thing altogether in adolescence, but they have this internal drive and they want to do more coach. What do I need to do to be better? What do I need to do better? You know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and what I see a lot in society is a lot of energy, but misapplied energy. Right. And so once someone gets to a level where they have a really high level of skill um, and they've developed a really good life style to allow them to be successful and they've blocked out some of the things that, you know, are going to get in the way their next, you know, move is coach, what else can I do? And, and sometimes that's problematic because they wanted more on the to-do list and I'd like them to do less things, probably better. Right. Or find some things outside of doing more because doing more feeds the ego. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, a young athlete, they have to learn how to handle more load and do more, and that's that, that's fair. But in, in the process of that, they have to probably get rid of some things to make room. Um, and so big part of my coaching philosophy is I'm trying to eliminate mistakes as opposed to doing more things. We're going to do the things that we do, and we're going to apply them, and we're, you know, but – Along the way, how can, we, how can we get rid of things that are going to get in the way? And we, we talked about anxiety. And one of those things is anxiety creates, creates action sometimes. But sometimes it creates the wrong action. Sometimes it's better just to be still and be centered in that spot and not move somewhere else or let your mind move somewhere else. And when our mind moves some, somewhere else, if someone's a high achiever, they want to do something with it. And it just gets them going down the wrong path. And so when I'm having a conversation with an athlete and I see them going down the wrong path, one of the things that we talk about a lot, uh, you know, that I say to an athlete, so it's known in our program is what do you do when you realize, what's the first thing you do when you realize you're in a hole? You know, like you've gone the wrong way, you've had an injury or whatever. What's the first thing that you do? And and most often when I ask that person the first question, they're like, well, climb out of the hole. And I'm like, (laughs) Yeah, but you don't know how deep the hole is, right? Sometimes you don't know. The first thing you do is stop digging. How did you get into this place? Well, I dug this hole because X, Y, and Z. Stop digging. So I'll say that to an athlete when I think they're in about, hey, I think you're digging a hole here. Just stop digging. We can talk about it, but let's not move in a certain direction or let's not – Think in a certain directions. So let's just stop and pause and assess here before we start going the wrong direction. Because if you go down the wrong road for a while, it's gonna you're gonna have to come all the way back to this place where we're at right now to get going again, yep. and that's inefficient. And so, I like to f- talk to people about the things that they're they're doing in their lives that are not helping them, and let's stop doing that, or let's. And sometimes those are h- hard habits to break. And so let's maybe it's too big of an ass to say, stop doing this. How about, how do we minimize this in our life? And oftentimes the minimizing is minimizing the things that we think about that are getting us in the wrong place. It's not always an action step. Sometimes it's what we're thinking. So I'm going to stop. If I hear somebody say, oh, this, that, or the other, they're talking about something. I'm like, that's not helpful. We can. Are you disciplined enough to stop doing that? Right? And mm-hmm. what we find is if people done something that, a certain way forever. um, And it's fed them in a positive way, but it's not going to work now. It's a hard lesson for them to stop because it's fed their ego. Mm -hmm. And, and oftentimes it's people in their past that this person, if I had a nickel for every, every high school coach or counselor or teacher sent me an email and told me how their kid is the most special kid and they're the hardest worker ever. And I'm just like, dude, you have no concept of what it's like the workload at this level it will yeah. blow your mind. Um, and the problem is that kid's been propped up too much. They get to where we're at. Everyone's as talented and everyone's got a massive engine, massive work ethic, and yep. and has fantastic habits that they've never even seen. They're doing stuff with their bodies uh, in their free time <laughs> that they've never even seen the equipment, right? Or, or or the movement. And that ego can get crushed really quickly, right? Oh, man. So yeah, absolutely. it's a process. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Hey, we're not gonna worry about this or that or the other, and we're not gonna to try to recreate what we did in high school or wherever. We're gonna stay in this place right now. These are the things that foundational things that we're gonna work on. We're gonna go general to specific. We need to acquire these skill sets, and then we're gonna build on that. And that takes a buy-in and a trust. But along the way, we can't we can't revert back to old habits because they make us feel good. That's a lack of discipline. And we we can't afford that. And so the not-to-do list, I like to ask people what is, because people are very transparent. What are some things you're doing right now you just don't think are helping you? I'm not going to tell people what they need to do. I'm going to ask people. I'm going to ask my athletes, what do you think? Well, coach X, Y, and Z. Okay. What are some things we think we could do instead or places we could go in a different direction? Well, I really like doing this, that, or the other. Well, let's spend a little bit more time there. Have you called your mom? Have you, you know, have you, um, have you, have you gone to the movies? Have you, you know, reconnected with an old friend? What are those things that reaffirm? for you and make you feel whole. Are you doing a lot of those? Well, no, i kind of gotten away from it. Okay, so let's get back to that. And sometimes people can get a little less self-involved. They can get a little bit more centered. They come back to their center. They get a little bit more energy. Then they start dropping that thought process or that action process away. And they go, that doesn't feed me. It doesn't serve me well. I'm not doing that anymore. I don't need that anymore. It's not a security blanket. And that's where we see real growth and uh, evolution in a, in a student-athlete.
0: You know, it's funny, one of the things you just said that when you said if you had a, a nickel for every time you got uh, an email, a letter, a note from a parent or a coach, as you said, about how great their kid is, how great this athlete is, how hard they work. It, it took me back to a time when I was living in Los Angeles and pursuing, loosely pursuing an acting career in, in the entertainment uh, biz. And I was working on the set of Scrubs as an extra. And just one of my buddies from that, that uh, was also a fellow aspiring actor. He's like, you know, you think, you think you're special. He goes, take a look around here on this set. Everybody here has been told or thinks that they're yep. special and that they can make it here. And I, it was kind of this, just stopped me in my tracks a little bit. It's so, right. And then I started thinking that I got on auditions and, you know, you look around and it's like every single person either had a thought to self or had been told that this was something they could do and potentially make it. And, Yeah, it's a, it's it's a pretty good ego check.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the next thing to that, to that individual is, hey, you, you're skilled and you're, 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 you know, you want to soften that blow a little bit. um, Because if they, if they're introspective, they can see it. You you say, that's okay. You know, I I have no problems with saying to somebody, and I wish somebody had said this to me, you're not that great, but you have a chance to be a lot better than you are. Can you get excited about that? Um, Yeah. Every kid that wants to come in and, and be an all-American and they real, and they see some of the guys you know on our team and how good they're, they realize pretty quickly I'm never going to be as good as that guy. And they're, they're actually probably right. Just physically, some people are just not as good as other people. It's just how it is. That's right. that's just life. It, but you know, it's one of those. Can you be the? Can you be the best? Yes, view, though? and that's why I say I, great. Greatness is relative, be right? And so mm-hmm. that's where you come back and say, what's a good goal for you that you, that you feel like you could achieve, that you feel good about? You know, long term, short term, whatever it may be. And let's get our let's get ourselves um, really excited about that and have a purposeful approach to that. And. Um, once you get somebody on that track, sometimes they can transcend and then go beyond. And I always tell people, I'm like, I'm not sure where you can end up. So I'm not telling this is the end for you. This is what I see right now. Let's achieve this first. Then we can have a conversation about, you know, going to the Olympics or whatever. But until you master, and unfortunately in this society, in this day and age, I think it's a greater challenge for young people. And I feel horrible for them because of it, because they feel they either A, need to prop themselves up because of, Social media and what have you, and their mm-hmm. egos are are really they're really fragile. Um, yeah. Or somebody's to- somebody who doesn't know anything tells them how great they are, and they really yeah. shortchange them. Or a parent puts so much pressure on them that they feel yeah. obliged, and none of that is really good, positive energy that's self actualizing what they act what they're yeah. actually capable of, and so that's a hard counseling space that a coach needs yeah. to, to be really skilled at to get this person going and it's a process
0: matt you have dedicated your life to coaching as we said especially your adult life your professional life if you were not coaching track and field cross country you'd be doing what i've thought about that <laughs> further along i um
1: probably <laughs> uh the knee-jerk response is i've Probably would have been a clinical psychologist. I think that's the mm. the arena, and uh, that I think is um, really interesting to me in dealing with people. Um, so that that's kind of the knee jerk response, but I, I, a competitive something in a, you know that's measurable. I, I find it hard to not be in, think about being in that space, whatever that is, and so you know something that that has measurables i think that's why i like what i do because i feel like i've got a little bit of both if, if yep. you if you will
0: all right you are happiest win
1: well my favorite day of the week is tuesday and that's because <laughs> <laughs> <Taco Tuesday>? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh, i wish i was back on the west coast for taco Tuesday. much better on the in socal <laughs> but um I really like the coaching. I mean, I'm very calm on race day because I feel like I've done what – and I try to get my athletes to be really calm, um, and they know that I'm really pretty relaxed because
0: we're at where we're at. We're going to trust you. You've done the workouts. Re- yeah. It's like you said yes. earlier. We we talked about this earlier. You said you're not you're not cramming if you're telling right. something that an athlete needs to do the day of. Then it's 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 too right. late. <laughs> something didn't go right. So professionally, I
1: would say I'm 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 happiest on a Tuesday. That's when we do our hard workouts, and that's where probably the most coaching goes on and the most give and take because okay. people are, are in a stressed environment. They're have running really hard. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned along the way in coaching. Um, so professionally, I'm probably happiest on a Tuesday. Um, secondary to that, would obviously be when we compete. Um, but above and beyond, I'm I'm probably I'm you know w- my wife and I had kids late in life, and we were lucky to have two. Um, and I- I'm really just happiest being able to be with my kids. But I'm I'm even probably happier when I get to observe them when they're not with me mm. right and i get to see yeah. them grow and i and i and in their own way and i'm i'm not trying to you know i'm not imparting something on them i get to watch them yeah. interact without yeah. you know um i think that's probably when i'm when i'm really happiest is just just to watch them watch them learn and grow and and interact and and in whatever arena that might be without be able to see it but not be uh
0: on top of it you know I, I, I 100% know what you mean. In fact, my very last podcast episode, I interviewed uh, a guy that I was on the bachelorette with and we were talking about that. And I said the same thing as was like, I, I'm always, when I'm in that right frame of mind and I see my kids, like you said, more from a, a distance, not, not fully involved. And you just have those, those moments sometimes where you can be an observer. Uh, it's, it's really special. Yeah. So I, I, I totally know where you're coming from there. All right, Matt, you have to do something you're scared to do. What's your process of quieting that fear and proceeding anyways? Great question. Um,
1: well, the first thing is, okay, what's the end goal? Can, can, I, can I achieve this task? If, I'm, if I can't achieve this task or I'm afraid that I can't, what's the first step in trying to get my foot into the door? just to get my foot in the door jam that I can maybe squeeze myself in there. So it's probably what's the first step I can take to give myself a fighting chance to achieve this task. That's probably where my energy energy is at. If I look at it and I don't know how to do it, I'm just trying to figure out what's the first step. And then from there, what's the I'll figure out the next step from there. You know what I mean? All right. What does being brave mean
0: to Matt Rowe?
1: You know, I I think, I think, being brave is is really being in the moment and accepting the moment for what it is, and not trying to prostitute it or make it your own or make yourself feel a certain way, but really just uh, being in the moment and accepting it for what it is, and and acting accordingly to what that that is. And that's
0: that's a challenge. All right, I'm going to hype you up here, so everyone has a little bit of context and background of who I've been talking to and who everyone's been listening to. So Matt at Butler again, head track and field and cross country coach for the men's and women's programs at Butler university. You have been 12 time conference coach of the year. You've been nominated as a finalist for national coach of the year. You've coached 31 all Americans over 100 conference champions You've coached athletes at to both the national and international levels, and you've also had multiple athletes compete in the Olympic Games. How does that sound when I say all of that? Do you feel do you feel accomplished, or is there still a lot more for Matt Rowe to do? Uh,
1: I mean, the the real answer is I don't know if I've ever <laughs> really felt accomplished. I mean, yeah. you do you, you work hard, and then there's there's numbers or whatever attached to your name, whatever it might be, but. You know, for me, it's always just the next thing. You know what I mean? And and mm-hmm. I, I guess what I would say to athletes is, would you choose this or door number two? Right? Like the unknown. Mm-hmm. If someone mm-hmm. said to me yep. 14 years ago when I got to Butler, would you choose what you just said uh, or door number mm-hmm. two? I would choose that every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah. But um, I don't know if that necessarily makes me feel like I've accomplished I've accomplished anything. And first of all, a coach doesn't win races, athletes do. So those accomplishments are my athlete's accomplishments. I play a role to what level, we'll never really know, but I put my heart and soul into it. And I think the short answer is there really is no finish line. There's no moment and we've had great things happen and I've, and it's been great for the moment and I've enjoyed it, but then it's on to that next thing in that process of, doing it again and that obviously can wear on you but it's also invigorating so um i'm really grateful that i'm i'm allowed to do what i do for a living because it, it gives me great satisfaction and i i do feel like i do have an impact on people
0: yeah well as your friend i just want to say congrats on all that you have done and accomplished in your career and i know there's still a lot more out there for you uh, so thank you for spending some time with me today. Uh, continued success. What what do you what's coming up? I'm assuming we're nearing the end of the season. Yeah, do we, have, we have the
1: NCAA first round we? East preliminary uh, next weekend in Jacksonville, Florida, and about 12 okay. athletes there, and we're hoping to advance as many to the finals in Eugene a week and a half later at University of Oregon. Okay, right yeah. on. Nice. And an Olympic Trials field, huh? uh, after that. We've got. Um, we've got maybe we've got an athlete that we think has
0: a chance to get to the trials too so well that's great well best of luck through all of that to to you and your athletes i'll i'll certainly uh I'll, I'll track you guys online and see how things turn out all right matt thanks so much all right. man. good luck with the end Thank of the season you Ryan. And that's a wrap on this episode of The Bravest Kind with your host, Ryan Schaefer. Be sure to check out my website, ryanschafer.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-H-E-A-F-F-E-R.com for more podcast episodes and information happening in my world. Also, don't forget to subscribe to The Bravest Kind podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please take a moment to leave us a rating for the show. We'll be back at it with a new guest next week. Until then, be brave and be kind in your own lives.